You are listening to a Nerd Room podcast production. We the Nerd. Bunch of nerds. Hey everyone and welcome to Nerd Room. We talk all things stories, Marvel, DC, and beyond this episode number 331, we're discussing Batgirl's cancellation and the brand new Andor trailer. I'm your host for this evening. It is Tim coming at you with a solo podcast recording remotely here. So you'll have to excuse if you do get a little bit of an echo. I'm not in my normal recording studio because those of you who are keeping up, I've moved. The Nerd Room is closed and we're about to proceed on a new adventure to a brand new Nerd Room, new recording studio but that is coming in the future. For the minute, I am in a bit of flux, but I couldn't miss this week because there's been some serious news dropped on us just this evening concerning Batgirl, a once promising feature film on the HBO Max streamer service, something that myself, I know my friends, Carlos, my daughter, were extremely looking forward to. doesn't look like it's going to happen anymore because it's been completely shelved and we're going to jump into potentially why that is and what are maybe some of the positive outcomes down the road of this extremely disappointing news. And we're also going to touch on things like Baffleck returning again to the DC film universe and Andor, Star Wars Andor, getting a brand new trailer that continues to amp up what looks to be one of the best Star Wars series going to Disney+. Plus since Mandalorian, which I'm immensely excited about and I cannot wait to discuss this. It's coming out in late September and this new trailer is an absolute banger. But because of the criticality of the news, the unprecedented news of Batgirl being shelved, this is where I'm going to start this evening. And first things first, this is extremely disappointing news for all of us that were highly anticipating the December release of Batgirl on HBO Max. Now, this movie has not been talked about in the context of DC Films or even HBO Max for quite some time. We did see that mid-year massive slate shift of DC Films where we saw the likes of The Flash as well as Aquaman 2 get pushed way out into 2023 and Shazam and Black Adam shuffle around a little bit towards the end of this year but Batgirl's left out of the discussion there and we all kind of assumed that it was just going to come out it had Keaton in it there was some connection building around this multiversal spin that they were putting on the DC film universe with Keaton re-entering the fray and him becoming an important pillar piece of that universe becoming the Batman of that universe as Ben Affleck has slowly exited that role now we have this news dropped on us today from every reliable source on the internet that we are not going to see Batgirl in any capacity ever, ever. Now, that is interesting because there's been lots of films that have been delayed, have been reshot, repackaged, put on the streamers, put into theaters, limited releases. There's different ways to release these things as they're not coming out, but Batgirl seems to have suffered from a relatively unprecedented full cancellation as it stands in post-production. They're done filming. They've spent between 70 and $90 million on this film and the decision has been made to not release it. Now, to fully understand this decision, I'm going to try to concisely and accurately spin this to try to understand 
the decision-making process that went into canceling Batgirl. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that I agree with the decision. I'm just trying to rationalize it out and try to understand where some of these decisions are coming from to make such a wild and what could be seen as a relatively irrational decision to can a movie that really could potentially make money, even in its current form, as driving eyeballs towards HBO Max. Now, we're going to have to go way back in time to understand this. And now we're not going back in DC film time. We're not going back and revisiting the concepts of the Snyderverse or what has happened inside of the DCEU. It's much bigger than that, this decision. So we're going to go back all the way to around 2016. We have AT&T, which is a huge telecommunication company, purchasing Time Warner with the hope of becoming this massive multimedia company, this massive conglomerate. And by the end of 2018, AT&T has purchased Time Warner and turned it into Warner Media, their media branch of AT&T. And now with that, you see a huge amount of content being now controlled by AT&T. Now, AT&T aren't entertainers, from my understanding. They, they maybe don't fully understand or comprehend what was needed to guide and direct Warner Media. But Warner Media itself had everything from HBO to all the Turner stuff to all Warner Brothers Pictures, New Line Cinema, HBO Max, of course, will come out of this. DC Entertainment falls under the CW. So there's a huge amount of companies that fall underneath Warner Media. Now, as we build towards 2020, inside of all of the merger post-2018, streaming services become immensely important to the portfolios of entertainment companies, with HBO Max being the streaming platform for Warner Media. Now, HBO Max, we've chronicled through here, we absolutely love what they're putting out. It melds very perfectly the more adult content that you traditionally got on HBO with their scripted and at times boundary-pushing content merging up with DCIPs, merging up with the likes of potentially Batgirl, Blue Beetle at one time, maybe even a Gotham TV show. So there's a lot of potential here. But as streaming services kick off, we've seen this with Disney+, Plus. we've seen this with every streamer, is that they're essentially libraries for their first year of existence. And about two to three years after, we start to see the original content being dropped very consistently onto these streamers. Disney Plus took about that time, and HBO Max was really ramping up with it being praised as one of the best content creators in the streaming service world. Now, the pandemic itself really heated up the importance of having a streaming service inside of your portfolio. Now, this is a time when the theatrical experience was under extreme risk, and it really looked like streaming services was the answer to this and potentially even the future of the film going experience. Now this led to many studios adjusting how they release films and how long they stay in theaters. That exclusive window was changing. Now most did a day and date, somewhat hybrid, but we saw a natural transition through 2021 back into big screen releases. But Warner Media had made a prior commitment to doing their entire 2021 slate day and date release on HBO Max. Now this set them apart from the competition, from the likes of Disney, Universal, Sony. And initially they were praised for this because we did not see an end to the pandemic times. But as we got through 2021, 
And funny enough, WB did lead the way for the theatrical experience of the like of tenants and being the first ones to actually drive people back, but they continue to suffer through the back end of 2021 because of these day and date releases with the likes of Dune, one of the biggest films of the year, being dropped day and date. Now, this decision seemingly has potentially played a part in what we are seeing today with Batgirl. And that's because as you fast forward to today, the pendulum has swung completely back with the emphasis being on the theatrical experience. That's where the money is and that's what the portfolios need to focus on. And now these portfolios are going to change from studio to studio where the importance lies for the streamers. Disney is still pumping a ton of money and commitment to that streaming service as Bob number two has made that a priority. And we do see that. But what we're seeing is very much less upfront direct integration with the traditional big screen releases. We're not seeing the likes of any of these Marvel movies dropping day and day, and that is likely never to happen. Now, they've shortened the release window to 45 days where Thor Love and Thunder, Multiverse of Madness are popping up in just a month and a half on that streaming service. So they found some sort of hybrid balance, but the focus is on that front-end loaded theatrical experience and really really the theatrical upfront dollars now if we go back in time just a little bit again to around 2021 2022 at&t decides they want to get out of the entertainment business and they reach a deal to merge their warner media asset with discovery to create a completely new integrated entertainment company called warner brothers discovery which would be led by Discovery's CEO, David Zatzlaff. So the former Warner Media CEO, Jason Killer, was out of a job. Now, myself, I've, I've been a part of a multi-billion dollar merger. Not me specifically, the company I worked for. And so I've seen this play out in a wildly different industry. But I do have relatively recent experience over the last 10 years of what happens inside of a merger. The first things that happen inside of any merger, whether it is meant to be amicable, whether it is meant to be these two companies are going to work together and it's going to be better. The first things that happen, though, is really about reducing redundancies, cutting costs, and increasing efficiencies across the board. This is just business speak when it comes to merger. Idealistically, we would all like to live in a world where these two companies or any two companies can merge and just keep on trucking along, keep on existing. But that is never the case. What happens and what is happening with Warner Media and Discovery's merger, we are seeing one of the cultures and one of the strategic directions emerging as the prominent direction for the company, and that is Discovery's because of the leadership of David Zatzlaff. And so what do I mean by that? What do I mean by a culture emerging, a strategy emerging? It's that the direction of the company is going to go one way or another. Jason Killer had a very different idea of where Warner Media was going. He was focused on HBO Max and streaming service. David Zatzlaff is focused on the theatrical experience, big screen releases. This is where he views the money. With rumors even out there that HBO Max may end up seeing a drastic change happening inside of it with a shift to Discovery Plus as they further integrate those two platforms into a single release platform, maybe even focusing more on the unscripted 
discovery content on their streaming services. So we'll put a pin in that and let that come back later. But let's swing back to this theatrical experience and what Zatzlaff might be doing here. Now, he has been very, very open about his structure for WB Discovery being more of a mirror or as a hybrid of what he sees over at Disney. So much so that he's brought over a former Disney executive in Alan Horn who really trumpeted and helped shepherd in the integration of a lot of these big studios into Disney in the Bob Iger era. Now, Disney did something a little different if we can focus on Disney for a second. We saw the merger of quite a few companies in the Bob Iger era, including both Pixar, Marvel Studios, and Lucasfilm. Three humongous studios of their own right with their own cultures and their own strategy. Now, what Disney did was they left those studios alone and did not integrate them into the wider Disney studios. And so what that allowed them to do was have their own leadership, their own strategic direction to guide how their film universes and how their film releases worked with some efficiencies on release schedules being funneled up through Walt Disney Studios and an executive at that level that reported directly to Bob Iger. Now, I know I'm getting technical here, but this is very important for Batgirl here. Now, with Zesev wanting to see more of that inside of Warner Brothers, that meant a change needed to happen. Because as you go through and look back at Warner Brothers pictures, you have to remember when you're comparing it directly to things like the MC or Lucasfilm, it's two completely different worlds. Warner Brothers pictures is looking after everything from Harry Potter to Dune to DC and every other thing that they got coming out underneath that one banner. So they're not focused solely on creating a developing a singular DC narrative through a set of films like Kevin Feige is. His focus is on the MCU. The head of Warner Brothers is not focused on that so much. But Zaslav wants that to be the case. He wants to see this change inside of his corporate structure so that we do eventually get that singular focused narrative or at least that brand recognition to DC the same way that you get with Marvel Studios. Marvel Studios is referred like it's an independent studio, but it is very well integrated into Disney. But the likes of Kevin Feige are given a lot of free reign to do what they need to do to be successful. So as Zatslav earlier this year was running around talking about the changes he would like to see and like to make to DC, he mentioned the idea of creating film verticals, which have their own leadership. You'd have Warner Brothers New Line. You'd have DC and Animation Studios that were focused solely on developing the content underneath those brands and IPs. So this is a very, very positive thing for DC going forward, is that it looks like they're able to take what worked in the past, what's working now, and take that and work with the pieces that they feel are valuable, that are great assets, and move forward with those and only those on the big screen. So, so this is a lot of contextualization for trying to understand why they canceled Batgirl. So fundamentally, what it comes down to, they're doing a few things that I mentioned in there. They're heavily reducing redundancies and cutting major costs and increasing their efficiencies. And to do that, there is always going to be collateral. There's going to be fat that needs to be trimmed. There's going to be projects and assets that get cut because they do not fit into what is perceived to be a more streamlined approach 
to a strategy. Now, this is the shitty part. This is the part that I've suffered through, many of my colleagues have suffered through in the merger that I've been a part of, is that you see a lot of projects and a lot of people you care a lot about meet their demise in a not so favorable way and sometimes relatively abruptly. And this is part of the business, unfortunately. This is part about making Warner Media and Warner Brothers Discovery at this point a better company. And it seems like Batgirl and the Scooby-Doo movie and the Wonder Twins and anything that was meant to go directly onto HBO Max is a casualty of this massive corporate restructuring. Is it right? Maybe, maybe not. Who am I to say if this casualty, if Batgirl being a casualty of DC Entertainment for a much brighter and better future, is that something that we are all willing to accept? Is that something that we aren't willing to accept? Because that's really the question out there. If you could accept the loss of Batgirl for a much brighter and better future, would you take it? I don't know. And then the other question you must ask yourself is, is it necessary? Could they just put it out on HBO Max? Could they just drop it into a limited theatrical release? Let us experience it, take that money, maybe even break even, and let us have that experience as a fandom. Well, there's one little piece that has popped up online that may be the answer to that. And it looks like it's part of a cost savings focus. They've decided to maybe write this asset off completely. And so what does that mean? What does writing off an asset mean? Like, I'm not, a, I'm not an accountant. And I, my wife does my taxes. So I really don't exactly know what all of it is in detail. But essentially writing this off shows on their year-end bill an increase in expense and allows them to lower their overall profits, their revenue, because they're writing off this $90 million, which ultimately makes their taxable income or taxable profits lower. And so what maybe WB is doing is saying, we're going to take this $90 million and we're not going to pump in the $30 million it's going to take to get this promoted and over the last few hurdles to drop on to just HBO Max. We're actually going to take this as a tax write-off and reduce our income and claw back some of those losses. But the problem with that is if you write off an asset completely, not write down, but write off this asset, we're never going to see this. This asset has been claimed to have no value and therefore WB Discovery cannot monetize this. They cannot just throw this on direct dvd They can't throw this on HBO Max. They can't toss this into a theatrical limited run because they said this asset is worth nothing. If they take the tax write-off, this thing disappears forever. So your hashtags and the save back girl and the maybe we'll see it in the future goes away if WB writes this completely off. Now they can write this down as an asset that's depreciated in value and potentially we might see this someday. But there is a real risk, unlike Zack Snyder's Justice League, unlike some of these other films that disappeared and then we eventually saw, there's a real risk here that we never see Batgirl ever. And it's because it's a casualty of a financial decision, of a corporate business decision. You know, there's reports out there that this was no good or the costumes didn't look great or that it wasn't 
big enough for a theatrical release, but it was still too small or didn't fit the direction of DC for HBO Max. To me, none of that really has any ground to stand on. If you really wanted to release this, you pump the extra money into it, you bring it to an end, you set an expectation through your promotional campaign about this being a smaller, more private story about Batgirl. There is a way to get this across the finish line, but there's something much bigger from a corporate level. So this 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 is a casualty, and it's really unfortunate that we're not going to see Leslie Grace and Michael Keaton and Brendan Fraser share the screen here. It's really unfortunate that the directors here are going to have an opportunity to show Batgirl in the creative light that they wanted to. And so it must be devastating for the people involved in this that they're never going to get to see this ever. And that, for me, is is where i got to leave this, guys, that, that I think that Batgirl is a casualty to something much bigger. And if that something much bigger comes to fruition, maybe we do see a Batgirl, even a Leslie Grace-led Batgirl, down the road. But it's not going to be the film that they shot here. And the worry with all of this as we look more deeply at what is going on inside of DC, what is going inside of all of Warner Discovery, is that something is changing, something as big as changing. Now, if we can focus right in on DC itself, news broke this past week through Jason Momoa's social media accounts that he was filming scenes with Ben Affleck again, with Batfleck, that he was back reshooting a cameo inside of Aquaman 2 that stuck right at the end. Now, there's rumors, lots of rumors, that Michael Keaton himself was meant to be in that film as well, but is being reshot with Ben Affleck's Batman. So what this is telling me is that maybe Michael Keaton isn't going to be the Batman fixture we thought he was going to be, and maybe that he was planned to be, because we no longer have him in this Batgirl movie. We no longer have him in Aquaman 2. Maybe we get him in The Flash, but only as part of this multiversal story and not part of a much grander narrative that is framing up Keaton to take the reins of the cape and cow. And so it worries me that we're not going to get Keaton in the way we thought, that the direction of DC is pivoting and pivoting quickly into a whole new direction. Now, this direction can be very exciting. It's going to be led, of course, by the likes of The Rock and Aquaman, Wonder Woman. There's lots of great pieces of this universe that they're going to pull from, but they're heavily focused on that theatrical experience and the profits ultimately that do come with that. So stories are going to be told in the DC film universe, but they are going to be told on the big screen and very much less so on the small screen in the streaming services as Zatslav has oriented his company in that direction. It'll be very interesting to see how HBO Max survives through this and what it looks like on the other side of this reimagination and redevelopment of the corporate strategy. So I, I I know that was a lot of jargon, guys. And I know that was a lot to digest potentially, but I wanted to really get that out there because I find this piece of the business incredibly interesting. And I might be completely off base with all that analysis. But ultimately, I do see the business rationale for it. But again, being part of decisions, not directly like this, but in a similar vein to this, it sucks and is devastating. But at the end of the day, I can honestly say, maybe it's for the better. Doesn't make sense. I don't know. Probably not. But let's see where this lands on the other side of things, guys. I'm interested to hear a lot of commentary around this because I know a lot of people have been very disappointed with this news. But 
I'm going to be interested to see what comes out in the next couple of days to see if our overall assessment is correct or if it's completely off base and they just really hated the film and the executive said, nope, we're not even going to touch this. I don't think that's the case because they, they released Zack Snyder's Justice League. So I think there's something bigger here. If you contrast both of those properties, yes, there was money invested. It was released. They can't take it as a tax write-off for Justice League, but they still pump the money into Zack Snyder's Justice League. Maybe I was to prop up HBO Max. I do not know. But there is something funny here, and it's going to be interesting to see how this unravels over the next little bit. But let's stick with the streaming service, guys. Got one more thing to talk about this week, and that is over on Disney Plus with Andor. steal from the Empire? You just walk in like you belong. They're so proud of themselves. So fat and satisfied. They can't imagine that someone like me would ever get inside their house. Cassian Ander. The Empire is choking us so slowly. We're starting not to notice. What I'm asking is this. Wouldn't you rather give it all to something real? The first words that come to mind when I am talking about Andor is, wow, this looks unbelievably good. Now, Star Wars has a real knack for trailers. They've been able to put together trailers that resonate with huge audiences for a very long time. You look back to all the sequel era trailers everything they've done with the book of Boba Fett the Mandalorian all of their trailers are immensely engaging now some of those shows maybe you don't feel the same way about as you do with the Mandalorian or with the sequel trilogy but we can all agree that Lucasfilm does trailers like almost none other <clears throat> but what stands apart from a good trailer and a good series or good film is really how it comes across as we are experiencing it. And we're going to get experience and or here after this trailer on September 21st. The first three episodes are premiering on day one, which is amazing. Of what I believe is a 12-episode season, which will then be followed by another 12 episodes in the coming years that will be telling the rest of that story. We're going to get a story around casting and or I believe about five years before Rogue One and what looks to be the real catalyst point for the rebellion now we've seen this story told from a couple different angles in the past and one more specifically inside of rebels where we're seeing different pockets of resistance coming together to create something bigger that eventually becomes the rebellion as we get to row one and of course a new hope this story this piece of it being more focused on another group, a group that will eventually contribute to the much larger rebellion, but also on the political side of things. That's what really spoke to me in this trailer, the likes of Mon Mothma and Stellan Skarsgård character, where there is an angle here that I really enjoyed about the prequels, where we get this integration of the politics, of the back and forth, of the backdoor stuff that is going on at a grander level, mixed in with the gritty ground floor 
guerrilla style of rebellion that is developing in little pockets throughout the universe. And so having those two worlds meld together, I think is an awesome way to approach this. And then you throw in all the iconography that we're used to in Star Wars that feels like it's complementary to this series and not the reason that we go and see it. At times, you can argue that even some of these shows like The Book of Boba Fett, which I liked but didn't love, that it relied a lot on the iconography, or a lot of light on the familiarity of Star Wars to tell the story. And then there's a lot of little bit of pieces of filler there. The exciting moments are when you get to point and say, look, there's a Death Star, look, there's a Stormtrooper. This looks like it's using that familiarity of Star Wars to make the story better, but not to depend on it to draw us in to engage us. The acting here from the likes of Diego Luna looks off the charts. His level of commitment and engagement across this universe is, is amazing considering where his character eventually ends up. You know, you look back at Rogue One and arguably one of the best, if not the best theatrical release in the Disney era, his character, spoiler alert, comes to a demise at the end of that film. So that's the last time we see him, and that was the expectation, that we weren't going to see the story revisited. And here we are, talking about a trailer and a show that comes out in just about two months' time. And so that puts something to perspective about the ability to develop these Star Wars stories around something that is tangible around something that has some meat to it. And I'm excited to see what Disney and really what Lucasfilm is able to do with a story that was specifically written and produced for television for a 12 episode arc for a 24 episode arc, whatever it turns out to be. And the level of commitment to making this more of a practical experience from my understanding, you know, it does not look like, and maybe they benefited from not having the same restrictions with regards to COVID, but this looks like it was shot on big sets. It was made to feel grand. And this is some of the pieces I'm missing from some of these other TV shows is that I feel like I'm inside of the volume when they are telling these stories. I felt that with Obi-Wan. I felt that with, with Book of Boba Fett. I'm not feeling that here. I'm feeling the grandeur of the bigger galaxy, of the Star Wars galaxy inside of this show. I think like everyone, we all thought this is going to be a great supplementary piece to Star Wars, to our viewing experiences, but it's not going to be that Book of Boba Fett or that Obi-Wan Kenobi series. I really and truly feel like this has the potential to be on par with The Mandalorian as far as its level of reception of its execution and how we appreciate how the story melds and fits into the grander Star Wars story. It is outside of the Skywalker saga, but is fitting into one of the most familiar pieces of Star Wars storytelling. And so I just want to get this in front of me. The fact that we're getting three episodes, the fact that it just looks to be an unbelievably good story and it looks great. I'm just so excited for this, guys. I'm so excited for the return of Star Wars at Disney+. And I'm happy that they're continuing to tell stories on this platform while they work out what the next big thing on the big screen is. I'm happy to take Diego Luna and Andor and everything we're getting, two tubes and Forrest Whitaker's Saw Gerrera coming back here. We're getting a lot of familiar pieces from Rogue One, and I'm here for it. All freaking day, guys. I want to hear what you guys think about Andor. What you think about this trailer? Are you excited for this? Are you still of the opinion that maybe we really don't need this? Maybe we had this story told in Rogue One. I want to hear all of that, guys. And I want to hear what you think about 
Batgirl being canceled. Is this something you're immensely disappointed about? Yes, probably. Do you see a rational end to what they're doing inside of the corporate restructuring inside of DC? Is there a place we go where we eventually get a Batgirl film in the big screen with Leslie Grace even maybe? Who knows where we end up with all of this? But if you would like to give me your opinions, if you'd like to give us your opinions, you can always email us at thenerdroom at gmail.com. You can find everything we do at thenerdroom.net. You can touch base with us over on Twitter. Our handles are at the end of the episode. You can use hashtag WeTheNerd to also get a hold of us on any social media platform. And YouTube, I'd like you guys to head over there. Give us a subscribe. Check out my farewell to my Nerd Room video as I have closed up, packed up, I did one last video in there just detailing very shortly, very briefly, it's less than five minutes, just what my room looked like prior to me taking it apart, binning it up, and getting ready for the next big adventure and the next big steps for the nerd room here. So go over there, check that video, give it a like, give this channel a subscribe, and we got some exciting stuff here. Carlos and I had a big discussion the other day about the future of the nerd room and what it's going to look like as we take our next step evolution, as we move into what I think is our seventh year of podcasting. Maybe even our eighth. I can't remember. We started in 2016, so that puts us, yeah, into moving into our seventh year of podcasting, which is something that we always like to do. Every year we reflect back and we want to look at how we can change, diversify, how we can do things a little differently. And we've come up with a plan that I think is going to be very, very exciting. It's going to involve a bit of podcasting and a bit of live streaming. And so we're going to put that plan out there probably in towards the September timeframe. Really start to execute that as we get into the fall as life stabilizes a little bit. But I appreciate you guys being here this week with me while I run solo. And I appreciate any feedback on these episodes. Do you like them? Do you not? Do you want more of it? Do you want less of it? Tell us what you guys want. And we'll see how we can fit that into the grander scheme of things as we develop this podcast. As we always change this podcast. It's never stale. It's never stagnant. It's always fluid what we do here in the Nerd Room. And so your feedback is always important to us. And so guys, thanks so much for dropping by. And hear a little bit about Batgirl and a little bit about Andor. But you know what? It's about time I go have myself a drink. I'm on vacation. I'm going to go kick my feet up, have a seltzer, and really just relax for the rest of the week. So I appreciate you guys being here. And for this week and for the Nerd Room, I'm Tim. And thank you guys so much for entering the Nerd Room. This has been a Nerd Room Podcast production. You can find our hosts Tim, Troy, Sanjay, and Carlos on Twitter at TheNerdRM, TroyTheBoy87, Sanjabi, and CDN Caped Crusade R. For more content from the Nerd Room, check out the nerdroom.net. And don't forget to subscribe to the Nerd Room on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, wherever you plug in. Use the hashtag WeTheNerd to keep up with the latest from the Nerd Room on Instagram and Twitter.